0: Hey, listen, it is so good to be able to preach this morning and once again to be able to talk. I have been looking forward to be able to preach on this topic about being thankful, thankful this morning and I have a brand new flip chart. Isn't that cool? I want you to know that. It is just the cat to catch me. I just love that. I just am excited about this. And you know, this is this is what you call a smart TV, and it's smarter than Harold. I just want you to know that. And so we're going to have a chance to preach and teach on that this morning, if I can get my microphone set. Okay, so um, w- can you put that first slide up? So here's the scripture lesson today. It comes from the book of Thessalonians. Uh, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's. Will for you in Christ Jesus And the second piece of scripture I want to share from you all, with you all today From uh, the book of Luke I, loved, I love Luke um, it, it comes from the, um, the 17th chapter Beginning with the 11th verse Hear these words, this is a story where Jesus Cleanses the, the ten lepers So on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus Was going through the region between Samaria And Galilee, as he entered The village, ten lepers approached him Keeping their distance They called out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were, well, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He found himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked him, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine were, well, where are they? Was none of them found in return, to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them, get up, go on your way, for your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen so um here's I want to share with you uh, just a true story so I had mentioned to you all you know last uh, week um some of y'all were praying for me so I went for a little procedure and of course it was because it was endoscopy thing I had to go through the whole process and drink a bunch of terrible stuff and that whole it was just you know it was just dreadful it was awful and and, and so um so I went in on Tuesday morning and I you know I was extremely dehydrated it only took them six times to be able to get a needle in me but you know that's it but who's counting and and so um and and so I, I was sitting there in the waiting room and waiting for them to call me back and I finally went back to um and I I met this um young girl I'm guessing she was probably um I I, when I saw her I thought maybe she's 21 or so or so she she, so she was my nurse and and she was so pleasant and so kind and and so um so immediately she kind of struck a conversation she said how you doing Mr. Hendren I said um uh, well I've had better days and, um, and then she says, Oh, I'm so sorry. And then she said, Then she kind of tries to get my mind off my misery. And, and she says, um, um, So where are you from? And I said, Well, you know, um, we've lived here for the last 11 years. And then we were from actually from Boynton Beach. She said, Oh, Boynton Beach. I said, Yeah, we lived there for 15 years. She says, Well, I'm from Wellington. And I said, Really? Because Wellington's only like 20 minutes down the road from Boynton. And then she was so excited to hear that I was from, actually spent that time there. And she says, I was actually born in Wellington Hospital. And I said, well, that's great, honey. I, I, I actually been in that hospital many times. I've gone to visit people in the hospital. And so we were having this wonderful little conversation. I said, I said, so where? you know, I said, how did you end up here in the villages? And then she says, well, my mom and dad ended up living here. And I said, where did you go to school? And then she says, well, I went to the villages charter school. I said, oh, did you? And I said, when did you graduate? She says, I graduated in 2019. I said, oh, then maybe you know my son, Cameron. She, said, oh. she says, you know, I, I thought I recognized your name. Because Cameron rec- you know, Cameron went to school, evidently with her. And so we had this wonderful little conversation. And I said, by chance, by chance, did you go to the baccalaureate service that year? And then she says, yes, I did. And then um, and she says, and you did it. And I said, yes, I did do it. I did do this service, and she had this big smile on her face. She says, I thought I recognized that name. And then, um, so then um, I, um, I was, began to cheat, te- and I said, do you remember what I talked about? And then, um, <laughs> and so, so we had this wonderful conversation, and she says, you know, Mr. Hendren, um, you know, you looked a whole lot younger back then. Now she actually, I'm just... <laughs> I made that up. I made that. So anyway, this is what, can you put that first slide up? So this is what, I reminded her and I said, you know, the 10, well, the 10 words uh, that are most important you need to know to be successful in life. And I said, the 10 words are, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you and thank you. And I recited them, and she smiled at me. She says, yes, I do remember those. Now, here's what I found out about life and my own personal experience. If you want to remain married for 33 years, you need to learn the first two. I'm sorry, and please <laughs> forgive me. For, for 33 years. If, that, if you want to get there, then that's what you need to, you need to learn. these. These are extremely important in life. Uh, I I'm sorry, please for me. So, so we're focusing on, um, you know, being thankful today. And, um, and so I was thinking about once again, just how much we should be grateful for. So let me show you this little clip this morning to kind of get a started about being thankful. I, I love this. Um, I found this commercial. It's actually American Airlines. So here's your, here's your, here's a little teaser for you. Count how many times the word thank you is mentioned. Can you roll this video for me? There were 11 verbal ones, and the last one was on the marquee Twelve's the answer. Yeah. It's a lot of thank yous in 44 seconds, right? Don't we have a lot to be grateful for? So, uh, true story, I went and did a, a wedding on Friday, um, back in my old you know, stomping grounds and went back to, um, I actually went to Pompano, uh, Went to the Hilton there. I did a wedding for one of my kids who was a part of our church, and um, his mother, uh, Leanne, and Chris were just wonderful friends. And um, he has a brother named Nicholas. And so we, um, and I actually coached him in little league baseball. He played with my son Jordan, and, uh, and and so it was great to have this reunion. Matter of fact, I got a picture, and what's here's the picture. Can you put that here's the picture? And uh, uh, Tyler, the one's getting married there. He's on my on my on my left and so what's really interesting you want to talk about me really making you feel old i coached all those kids and now they all have beards i just want you to know that they're all were little <laughs> leaguers Coached them when they started with nine and now you know 13 14 15 years later they're all grown up and so we had such a such a great time at that wedding and what a blessing so um what was very interesting when i walked up on that particular um uh, was at this beautiful resort and um <clears throat> when i walked up I, I saw a familiar face. Her name was Elisa. Elisa was one of my very good friends, her and her husband, Dan. Um, and so she was so excited to see me because she was doing the flowers for the wedding. Matter of fact, she did the flowers for my daughter Olivia's wedding. And uh, Elisa and Dan were a part of our church, and uh, that's why the constables knew her. And they said, Alisa, can, the can you do the flowers for our, our son's wedding? So, so I saw Elisa, and I, I hugged her and embraced her, and she had the biggest smile on her face. And she says, Pastor Harold, it's so good to see you again. And then she says, I want you to know, do you remember what you were doing 20 years ago today? And I said, I do. I was baptizing your son in an incubator. Yeah, she had that, you know, what's interesting, little Danny almost died. Um, Danny's thriving. He's a, a thriving 20-year-old. He's an amazing young, young man. But, I well, I'll never forget Dan calling me up. Dan's one of my best friends in the world. said, Harold, Elisa had this baby. But They had tried for years and years to have this child. Years. And finally she gave birth to this beautiful child, and they thought he was so healthy, and they had some heart conditions. And then Dan called me up in the middle of the night. He says, Harold, um, I need for you to come. He says, I'm not sure he was going to make it, but I want to make sure my son's baptized. <laughs> in 35 years, I never baptized a child in an incubator. That's the only time. I'll never forget that night. So then about three or four days later, they had figured out what was going on with Danny and what was hard, and, and so the, um, um, they had to do open-heart surgery. Can you imagine doing open-heart surgery on it a three or four-year-old, I mean a three or, three or four-day-year-old, right? It's amazing. So the doctor comes in and explains what he's going to do. I was actually there, and he goes and does this procedure, and then he comes back, and I'll never forget, I was actually sitting in the waiting room with Dana Lisa, and he comes and he lays these pictures on the table, and she says, would you like to see? He says, would you like to see a picture of your son's heart? i never seen anything like it. It was the size of a walnut. And so it was the most beautiful little heart. And then so he, he talked about with Dan and Lisa and I happened to be there, and they explained to him what, what he did to be able to fix Danny's heart. And they said, you know, Danny's never going to play football. Uh, but I tell you what, Danny is really good at band, you know. And, uh, and so Dan um, has, and so when Lisa turned to me when the surgeon went out the door, and I'll never forget this. She says, Harold, how do you begin to even say thank you? to someone who just saved your child's life. I mean, she says words just really don't quite cut it. Do they? It's just, I mean, that words just aren't even, you can't even put it into words when, when you think of someone saving your child's life and they just did open-heart surgery on, on your child's heart. I'll never forget that. I was thinking about um, thank yous uh, this week and about how, you know, grateful we should be. And some, I, I came up with some of my, what I would call great thank you uh, uh, quotes and um, about life and about attitude and experiences. So I, I love this. So this one came from Zig Ziglar. He says, you know, it's not your attitude more than your aptitude that would determine your altitude, Uh, People hear your words, but they feel your attitude, John Maxwell says. Diedrich Bonhoeffer talked about it's only with gratitude that life becomes rich. In normal life, we hardly realize how much more we receive than when we give. And life cannot be rich without such gratitude. It is easy, so easy, to overestimate the importance of our own achievements compared with that with what we owe to the help of others. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest modern-day theologians. By the way, Hitler killed him about a month before the end of the war. Ziegler uh, said, you know what? Be grateful for what you have and stop complaining. It bores everybody else, does you no good, and doesn't solve any problems. Oscar Wilde, that great playwright, from, um, said this, if you don't get everything you want, think of the things you don't get that you don't want. <laughs> Uh, David Ross a benedictine monk Says we're not grateful because we're happy We're happy because we're grateful that, my, um, This is one of my favorites About being grateful My wife told me this when we first got married Harold I put you first And you put me first And then no one second um, I, Which is the opposite of the t-shirt I saw once I'm not arguing I'm just trying to explain All the reasons why I'm right I just want you to know that I like that <laughs> Uh, John Maxwell in Leadership Bible, um, he's just a great teacher in leadership, and he actually put together a Bible. And so when it comes to teaching, and when I turn to this particular text, he talks about being grateful. He says, Grateful people linger over life's blessings. Grateful people live in the moment. Grateful people leave fear behind. Grateful people live on purpose. Grateful people love those beside them. Grateful. How grateful are we? So I, I, I have a homework assignment for you. I, um, I challenge you every once in a while. So um, can you think about the people that you're most grateful for? Maybe before you go to bed tonight. Have you ever thought and wrote down on a piece of paper the people that you're really grateful for? I have. There they are. It's, um, I don't know, it's about a, a list of about 10, 12, 15 people that I that have made my list of people that I'm the most grateful for in my life, that have helped me along the way. You know, it's always good to be really grateful and to maybe actually put down the list of people that you really should be grateful for. Some of them are still living, some of them are not, but these are the people that I am the most grateful for in my life. Grateful. True story, this showed up at the mailbox this week about, you know, um, my son uh, Jordan had just, has just mis- moved to Hawaii. He's living in Honolulu, and so um, he's teaching over there. And so he wrote us a thank you note, you know, and what's, that is a hmm, isn't it? I heard that, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so normally, you know, when you've got, you got a 24-year-old, 24-year-olds usually don't sit down and take out a pen and a piece of paper, and they write like a person. No, they usually text or, or maybe email but you don't usually get this, but somehow this just showed up. So this is, um, this is the beginning. Dear Mom and Dad, thank you for the letter and, and the Walmart gift card. I, I didn't realize that we had sent him a letter and a gift card, but evidently <laughs> it showed up in Honolulu. <laughs> I think his mother had something to do with this, right? Uh, she just does these things, right? She doesn't tell me, oh, yeah, by the way, I sent him a gift card with a lot of money on it. So okay. I say whatever. And so... Um, I just uh, just want to let you know how things are going. Uh, my students really seem to like me, and they're starting to learn more. I'm making more friends, and he talks about that. He talks about his new girlfriend, and we look forward to meeting her as well. And, you know, I just, once again, I mean, it's nice to get a thank you note from your 24-year-old kid. Thank you. So I, I have this little chart that, once again, it's just kind of a teaching thought for us to think about uh, today. And so can you put that little gratitude meter up here? So, yeah, thank you. So here's just a thought when, um, on our gratitude meter today. And I, I want to rank your Maybe you can think about not only here's your homework assignment. I want you to think about is to think about the people that maybe you're the most grateful for and make your list and hold on to that. But, you know, here's what I'm, and I'm going to use this as my own practical. This is going to be from Pastor Harold's standpoint, and you can kind of rank your own self, okay? So um, what I have found also in my life when it comes to my kids, as they've gotten older, my kids seem to be a little bit more grateful as they've matured. So, and, And what's interesting, in my course of life, I was just like them, right? So at the beginning of my life, I, I think, and so if I was gonna rank myself, like early stages of my life, maybe, you know, my, my childhood, my, my uh, college years, I would say that I was more, when it came to a scale one to five, one being kind of feeling like a sense of entitlement and five being like really, really grateful for what I have. I was probably more along the lines in this area. And, and so I've seen this in my life, I've seen it in my kid's life, but I've also seen them move in this direction. So um I would say, maybe through maybe my thirties and 40s as I was beginning to approach my my 50s, I, I too started moving in this direction. and so um, and so after of uh, just kind of growing and and seeing life and watching my kids uh, grow up and and then my have my relationship with Donna, I, I feel like that you know I was more in maybe my midlife, more in this area. Then all of a sudden, something happened to me as one day as I was going fishing. December 17th, 2019, um, my life changed that day. And, and it didn't change just physically, but it changed uh, um, in a significant way because it, I spent three months really contemplating because I couldn't work um, really reflecting upon life and and I I found that over the those three months that I really found myself being so much more grateful and I have found myself really really starting to find as if and I, I really mean this this morning when I got up at 630 this morning to go running I opened up the door I looked to the left and I saw the most beautiful sunrise I don't know if you saw it, but it was spectacular this morning. It was breathtaking this morning. So not only did I say, God, thank you so much for the sunrise, but I also said, God, thank you so much for allowing me to see the sunrise. So there's a difference in my life, and maybe you can see this in the progression not only in your life, but in your children's lives and maybe your grandchildren's lives, about when it comes to like where you're camping in your life, So I don't know if you've noticed this, but almost every single time, if you ever hear me pray and you heard it just a few minutes ago, the first thing I say, the first, and I didn't do this before. I didn't do this before December 17th, 2019, but I have ever since that day. Every single time when I begin a prayer, and I don't care if it's at church, it's my own personal life, it's the last thing I say at the day, at the beginning, uh, last thing I say at the end of the day, or the first thing I say at the beginning of the day, I say, "Thank you, Lord, for giving me another day. For today is another gift from you." If you go to a church meeting and I lead in prayer, I begin with that. Lord, thank you so much for giving us a day. Let us not take it for granted. So maybe I'm asking you all to think, not only doing your own homework, I'm asking you to really think about your life, and maybe we think about the people that we're most grateful for, and you make your list. But maybe I'm asking you to think about, really, where are you camping these days as far as in this whole gratitude meter? Because I really believe when it comes to life, um, this is where Christ really wants us to camp, and to make sure that we give Christ his credit and what he's due. Because every single day, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, is a gift from God. And I've learned, and I've actually learned the hard way that you should never, ever, ever take that for granted. Can I amen on that? So I was thinking once again, this this week and reflecting upon, you know, life and about this whole thing and about, you know the gratitude meter and about where we are and about how we're camping. And and so I thought, um, this is a great story today. Um, And let me just teach for a second. Um, this story about the, um, the ten lepers, and um, one of them who was a foreigner, foreigner, a Samaritan, is the only one who comes back and actually shows back up and actually thanks Jesus. So there's a lot to be said in this particular story. And so what I think was, well, let's just go back and kind of learn for something. So uh, 722 B.C. Let's just start there. 722 B.C., something significant happened. What happened was is that the uh, Syrians came in, and they just pummeled the children of Israel. And so they were just, um, they were taken off, some were taken off, some of them were, had they actually stayed. Um, the 12 tribes of, uh, 12, 12 tribes of, of Israel were uh, dispersed all over. And so all of a sudden, for the next several hundred years, the Assyrians actually intermarried with the, some of the Jewish people. And guess what happened? They became the Samaritans. And so the pure Jewish race really resented the Samaritans. That's the reason why when Jesus talked about the good Samaritan story, he makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. Everybody, well, the Jewish people are standing back, well, man, that's a Samaritan? Really? You made him the hero in the story? Really? So the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They were despised the Samaritans because they were considered second-class citizens. Uh, they were, had intermarried and so, matter of fact, um, they were so um, uh, uh, angry. Matter of fact, can you put that uh, map up for me? So let me just share with you. All. They were So here is a, a picture of, like, first century uh, of Israel. And so um, down here is um, Mount Gerizim. And this down, down here is actually Samaria um, and Mount Gerizim. And so what's very interesting, about the time that Jesus comes on the scene, about first century A.D., is that the, um, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans so much they actually went to Mount Gerizim, and they had a temple there, the Samaritans, and the Jewish people went and actually tore down their temple. Now, can you just imagine that? I mean, it would be kind of like the equ- equivalent of um, someone coming in and all of a sudden just taking over our, our sanctuary. Or can you imagine if, you know, like back in the KKK days, uh, you went to an AME church, and the KKK came and burnt down your church. Or a white supremacist went in and they actually uh, uh, ultimately began to try to destroy a mosque or be able to jo- destroy a Jewish temple. This is what was going on. So there's, there was a deep-seated hatred going on between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. This is 1st century AD. So what's very interesting about this story, so you get a kind of a context of what's going on, this hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Now, what's very interesting, of course, up here is Capernaum. And this is where Jesus actually spent three years of his life his ministry because he wasn't accepted in Nazareth. He wasn't accepted in his own hometown. So he had to go over here to be able to actually live. And he began to teach And some of the greatest miracle stories that we have in the Bible all revolve around the Sea of Galilee, right? But what's very interesting, Jesus did not just stay at the Sea of Galilee. No, 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 no. This is what Jesus does. Jesus, actually, what we find story after story after story, Jesus began to make his way down, down this way towards Samaria. Now, what was interesting? This over here, this Galilee area, there's a border that runs right through here. So here's my point: Jesus was never afraid to be able to blow through borders. Jesus was never afraid to push the boundaries of borders. And so when I think about that and put it in perspective in our own lives, what I think is really powerful and put it in my, own, in my own lives and experiences is that I think there have been times in my life that maybe we have all put borders up in our lives and maybe we want to hold Jesus back. Jesus, you're getting a little too close. Jesus, wait a minute, I'm not, you know, to meddling. How many times in our life that maybe we actually put up our borders? And so what's beautiful about this story is that Jesus is always, this story is not just about the leper and what's going on with the leprosy because leprosy is a skin, actually a skin disorder, right? And there was actually no cure back then unless you were actually somewhat healed. And so what this is, the the beauty of the story is that Jesus is always trying to get to people's hearts. This is about running something that runs much deeper than just actually skin deep. It has to do with people's hearts. So what I love about this story is that Jesus is never afraid to be able to go blow right through boundaries. And I think the deeper truth to this story is it's about you and me. That Jesus is not only ready to blow through the boundaries of our heart that we sometimes we wanna put up. Jesus is always knocking on our heart. Jesus is always knocking on our door. Jesus always is saying, listen, let you want you let me in. And when I, when I talk about letting, you, letting him in, it's about really making Jesus the Lord of our life and actually making Jesus Christ the person, your personal Savior and he, you have a personal relationship with him. But let me tell you something, that as I shared with you all and taught you all last week, it's about sanctification. Sanctification is a journey that we're on until we breathe our last breath. And, and letting Jesus come and live and reign in our hearts and not continue to put boundaries up is a day-to-day journey which goes back to my opening line, every single day, Lord, thank you so much for giving me another day. Let me be grateful for you. Thank you for the breath that you've given to me. Thank you for that sunrise, and thank you so much for letting me see that sunrise today because I know it's come from you. Thank you, Lord. Here's the second thing I think about today is that, you know what, um, when it comes to boundaries, Jesus not only, there's a piece of scripture in Luke 9:51, which is a really important piece of scripture in Luke, and it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Which means this, that Jesus knew that he ultimately, he was going to end up in Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to die. He knew he was going to be crucified. But what's very interesting, Jesus is never afraid to go blow through boundaries. And so when he gets to Jerusalem, first the thing, first thing he does, he ticks off the religious establishment. He turns over the money tables. He, 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 Jesus is not afraid to be able to shake things up. Jesus is not afraid. Here, here's the, you want to think about Jesus actually pushing through boundaries. Guess what he does? He calls the religious establishment a brood of vipers. You think that won him some brownie points? <laughs> they called him a demon. He called them a brood of vipers. Jesus does the he pushes the boundaries. I mean, he heals the sick. He um, uh, he deals. He take, he goes to dinner with Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Jesus is never afraid. To blow through boundaries and because of that they killed him but jesus is never afraid to blow through boundaries here's the second part is that you know what jesus is always ready to um reach out and there is what i would call to reach out the untouchables and this is really important because the lepers were untouchables they call hey, Jesus have mercy on us. So literally Greek there means, mercy means to, um, to be able to provide for them like food and water and maybe some clothes, something. That would, that's what mercy meant when, they asked, when the ten lepers asked Jesus for mercy. They meant, can you just give us something to eat? Can you give us something to drink? But Jesus was offering so much more. And literally, here's a be- very powerful thing. When you go back and look how the lepers were treated in first century AD, they literally had to live outside of the village because they were not allowed to live inside the villages because they thought they were actually contaminated. They would contaminate other people, they'd make others sick. So they had to live in leper colonies. And guess what that meant? They had to completely depend upon loved ones to come bring them food, they were completely dependent upon other people to show them mercy. They were the untouchables. So here's my point for us to think about today. And here's the, once again, here's a a little teaching point. No matter what you have done, no matter what you've said in your life, Jesus Christ will never, ever see you as untouchable. Let that sink into your head. Let that sink into your heart. Because once again, this story is really about, it's not just about the 10 lepers, but this story is about, once again, it's about me and you. But Jesus is always, Prepared to push through the boundaries. Sometimes we put the boundaries up. Jesus is always ready, even though we we might think, you know, I how many times have I had people in my life and said, you know, Harold, I don't know if anybody, I don't know, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me because I've done some pretty bad things in my life. Well, don't ever ad- est- underestimate the power of God's love and His grace. Commitment on that. So maybe the second part of the story, when I think about this, is that once again, no matter what you have done and what you experience in life, you're never unintentional. In the eyes of God. And so, here's the last little thought for us to think about today. And I think this is a really important part of the story. So, there's a place in the story that you know, you Jesus tells them, "He's listen, go show yourself to the priest." And the only way they could actually get actually be free, they had to be healed. And then they had, and if they were actually healed, then they had to get the free clearance from the priest to give allow them to actually go back to the mainstream of society. Um, so they had to, the priest would be like the doctor and saying give him like a written permission slip to go back and to be a part of the family to go be a part of your to be able to go back into the village again. This is the way it worked back in first century A.D. So Jesus is listen, Go and show yourself to the priest, and on the way they're actually healed. And the part of the story is only one comes back and says thank you. And, and what's very powerful, what I think about that is that there's the, the word there that Jesus refers to. There's the first word is thanks. And the word thanks there is the exact same word that Jesus uses when he said this. On the night in which Jesus Christ was given up, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread. The same Greek word that's used when Jesus broke the bread is the same word that's used in the story, thanks. Same word that we use for the word Eucharist, thanksgiving. Here's that little part about the story when you look at the original Greek. The word there when he takes, Jesus says, and he comes back, this one, he says, is there anybody left? I mean, I, what, what, was it there 10 of you all? Where are the other nine? I don't know, Lord. I'm the only one. And then you get to the real part of the story. Once again, this is a story, this is a story not about just skin. No, this is about something deeper. And so the guy says, and then the Jesus says to him, go for your faith has made you well. Now, where else have we heard this in the Gospel of Luke? This is really, really important part of the story. So we heard it when the woman falls at Jesus's feet and he is anointing Jesus's feet with her tears and he anoints her and dries his his feet with her hair. Remember that story? And Jesus says, go for your faith has made you well. There's a place in the story where that hemorrhaging woman who's been bleeding, she's anemic, she's sick, she's so sick, she, she's tried and she spent all her money on doctors and she finally finds herself once again at Jesus' feet and she touches the hem of his garment. It was actually called a talet. It was part of a, a ceremonial robe that actually a prayer shawl that Jesus would have robe, wore and he, she touches the hem of that garment and Jesus stop, stops and says, wait a minute, I felt something happen. Who, who touched me? And eventually you get to the end of the story and Jesus says to, her, to the bleed the bleeding woman. Your faith has made you well. There's a story where the blind beggar comes to him and says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Once again, can you provide for me? Can you do something for me? Can you give me food, water, drink, help me? And Jesus gives him so much more. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to be, I want to, I want to be able to be able to see again. And then Jesus says to him, go for your faith has made you well. Three different times in the Gospel of Luke. What's very interesting about that particular phrase, that literally means when Jesus does this, the little translation of the Greek means to make you whole. In other words, what Jesus is, when Jesus heals all these people throughout the Gospel of Luke, and then when he finally gets to this leper, he says, Go may for your faith has made you well. He's ultimately talking about making them whole. And he's not just about making them whole physically, but he's talking about making their hearts whole. Like you and me. Do you get that? And the literal translation when it comes to the whole idea about being made whole, the word there has everything to do with the word being saved. And the Greek literally means you go from whole to saved. In order to be able to save you, you need a savior. That's the point of the story. So this story today, is really not just about the 10 lepers. This story today is not just about the one foreigner who, you know, you talk about a second-class citizen. Not only was he a second-class citizen because he was a Samaritan, but he would actually be a third or fourth-class citizen because he not only was a Samaritan, but he had leprosy. And yet Jesus celebrates with this man, go for your faith has made you well. Do you realize that out of the 10, he's the one who gets, he gets the golden ticket. Because he comes and he, once once again, I love this part of the story, right? Don't miss this. I tell you what, Jesus loves humble people. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ really loves humble people. And the reason why I know that, because if you go back and look at all these stories that I just talked about in the Gospel of Luke about the hemorrhaging woman, where do we find her? She's at Jesus' feet. The woman who's anointing Jesus' feet with her with her with her tears in her hair. Where is he at Jesus' feet? Even, even the blind beggar, where does that story start out? He's actually sitting begging. But he finds, once again, he comes and finds himself. Jesus loves humble people. Jesus loves grateful people. And Jesus loves you, and he loves me. And so what I, I really, really think when I think about this story is I, I once again, I, I'm so, once again, grateful As this thing comes full circle today, isn't it? There is nothing that you could ever do or say that ever could actually stop Jesus Christ from loving you There's nothing you could ever do or say that ever could actually stop the amazing grace that Jesus Christ wants to continue to pour on your life. This story is not just about leprosy. It's not about your skin. This is about so much more. It's about a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ because he loves you, he loves me, and he loves the world. And we should be grateful for that. Because Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, according to the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, the 51st verse, and he went to, Jesus, went to Jerusalem to die for you and me. And we should be grateful.